Welcome to Business Conversations with your host, business strategist, Clive Ennevar. Clive is joined by expert guests as they talk business behind the scenes to give you the tools and insights to support your growth, security and serenity as you strive for your success. Welcome to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Ennevar. I am Clive Enneber, business strategist, and we're having a conversation with Simon Bedard about how to build a business that delivers the life you want. Simon's experience covers over 20 years in the finance, banking, investment, energy, and technology sectors. As an entrepreneur, he has started, purchased, and exited businesses. Simon's passion is helping business owners understand where they want to be, then building a business that can get them there. Hello, Simon, and welcome. Thanks, Clive. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure to have you here. Now, I understand we found you somewhere on the north side of Sydney. Where are you? Well, in God's country, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, I'm I'm located in the northern beaches of Sydney. Oh, beautiful area. Yeah. No, well, we love it. We've lived here for many, many years. And yeah, certainly uh, don't see us going anywhere else. (laughs) Ah, very good. So when you say we, I'm presuming that you're talking about Absolutely. My wife, Shanti, is a co-founder of our business and life partner, business partner, everything partners. And of course, our two boys who are 12 and just going on 14. Excellent. And of course, that gives me tremendous opportunity later if we get time to ask you about working with a partner, which of course, all of those who who know me also know that I work with my wife in the business. So we could have lots of talks. We might, you and I might disappear to a place by our own to have a chat about that. We might have to have a beer too. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But most importantly, tell us how you got to where you are. Yeah, interesting one. I guess we all have our journeys and twists and turns on life that lead us to where we are. And I presume we're talking more, you know, why are we doing what we do today and in terms of exit advisory and, and how we go about doing what we're doing. But it's, I think the, the most fundamental thing, you know, and, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this doing what you do is that I just saw so many business owners out there who, you know, they work really, really hard. Some of them have been in business for a couple of years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. One of my clients has been in business for 50 years. And you see these people going on these great long journeys, which is like an enormous marathon, right? And then they round the last corner. They're on the home straight. There's 100 metres to go and they trip over. And sometimes they trip over and they almost don't even finish at all or they just end up crawling over the, the finish line. And it's not the way they envisaged finishing that particular race. And it can be heartbreaking and it can have all sorts of knock-on consequences. And and of course, financial consequences, sure. Of course, they occur, but put those aside because actually what's more important is the consequences to them as an individual and how they feel about themselves and how they feel about their impact on the world. I saw that, my wife and I saw that and just felt a huge sense of injustice around it. I'm one of these people that believes that fundamentally it's entrepreneurs and business owners who change the world. And why do I believe that? Well, it's pretty simple because entrepreneurs are the type of people who see things in society and in the world that either just don't work or there's an injustice around them. They need to be fixed. Somebody needs to do something about that. Well, entrepreneurs are the ones who stop talking about it and go and start doing it. And they invest enormous amounts of resource, time, money, energy, fundamentally. They take on huge amounts of risk because they believe in fixing certain things and often making the world a better place. And so for them, people who go out and do that, and then they employ people and they take people on that journey and they contribute in lots of different ways. 
for them not to kind of get the rewards they deserve at the end. And as I say, you know, financial rewards, yes, are, par- are a part of that, but there's a lot more to it. To see people not finish the way they should and deserve in the way they want to is not right. <laughs> you know, I agree entirely, Simon. And you mentioned people having been there for a long time and having had a vision when they started, by the time they get to the end or towards the end, very often that vision seems to have left them or for whatever reason, they're, they're not following the, the path that they thought they might. I recall a particular gentleman that I worked with for a time who had been in business 30 years, absolutely fantastic product. People wanted it left and right, but had never actually made any money out of it. We were able to change a very few things. That's not saying it was easy. <laughs> we changed a very few things and the fellow was able to make a considerable period of money and not terribly long after that, he was able to retire and all the rest of that. What do you think it is that stops us as business owners from retaining that vision and following the often simple rules that will deliver it to us? Well, I think there's probably a couple of things that occur here. And now I'll start with the first and probably the most obvious is that, that people sometimes don't necessarily have a real vision. I am skilled in these areas. I've worked for other people. I've done this kind of work and a lot of people just kind of fall into it, right? For whatever reason, they leave that last job either on their own volition or circumstances change. And so they, they find themselves no longer working for someone else. And then, so they go, okay, well, I'm, I've been doing this for years. I'm good at it. I'll go and start my own business. And so we, they kind of fall into their business and start doing what they've always done. And whilst their purpose may well be to deliver that particular service or keep producing that widget. There's not necessarily a sense of vision and deeper purpose behind it. It's, uh, hey, I need to pay my bills. (laughs) I need to do X, Y, Z. And that's absolutely fundamentally legitimate reason for going and doing what they're doing. It's just not necessarily the path to a deeper sense of purpose and happiness. So number one, people don't necessarily start with a vision. But I think the other part of it too is really that, you know, you're right, people kind of lose their way a little bit as we go along that journey. And, you know, hey, you can't go into business without getting a bit beaten up and a bit black and blue at times and carry a few scars, right? One of my old previous bosses once said to me, working in some businesses, you know, like they want to hire the most edgy people. They're really sharp. They've got all these different ways of thinking things. They're out of the box. You know, all the think of every cliche you can think of, right? We hire people who are like that. But then we put them into this big machine, which kind of grinds them and grinds them and grinds them down. And pretty soon, all those sharp edges and the reasons you hired them are all smoothed out. And eventually, you know what? We all look like marbles rolling around in the same direction. (laughs) And and I actually sat there when he said that to me, and I thought, it's either one of the most inspired or depressing or possibly both things that anyone's ever said to me, right? (laughs) But it is very representative of what a lot of the world's like. And I think without being able to clearly name your purpose, you know, without being able to articulate it and and reinforce it and, and continually put it up in lights, if you like, you know, if you don't do that, you kind of, it starts to fade and the images is like that old memory, right? You you know, I met that person. I can remember chatting to them. I remember the way I felt. I, I'm struggling to even picture their face though, you know, because it was like, you know, that's human nature, right? So how do we name it, articulate it, reinforce it and remind ourselves of that? Because sometimes when you're in the grinder, the only thing you've got is that that real solid thing deep down inside to keep pushing you through. And that's a part, of course, that we really want to, we, we want to show it off. It is the heart of the whole thing because being good on the tools does not necessarily mean you're going to be good in business. 
equally, not being good on the tools doesn't necessarily mean you can't be good in business. I suppose you would have noticed that sort of thing through your experience? All the time, all the time. And you can't be good at everything. And I think one of the first things that most of us kind of recognize on our journey through maturity and whatever, but at, at some point we all realize we can't be great at everything. So you, you've got to start picking things, right? And Peter Drucker, one of the greatest management gurus out there, I guess he talks a fair bit about this sort of stuff. You know, it's a great example. A child comes home from school with their school report. They've got an A, an A minus, a B plus, and then a C and a D. What's the conversation you have with them? And by the way, the first time I heard this, I was many, many years ago, but I failed that test. (laughs) I said exactly the same thing that I find most people say to me when I deliver this example now, is that I said, oh, well, you're going to have to work a lot harder and improve that D and get that bloody C going up too, you know, start putting in a bit more effort around this stuff and you need to focus and blah, blah, blah. And of course, what Drucker pointed out was you can't be good at everything. So if that D is geography and you just happen to really suck at geography and you hate it, well, the energy you would put in to go from a D to a C could be 10 times the energy you would have to put in on that other subject that had a B and getting that B up to an A. So it's where do you want to put your time and energy? And by the way, you know, that 10 times level of energy is not only a huge amount of energy and time, but you're probably going to hate it. So it's going to feel like 100 times more energy because it's just such a negative experience, right? So Absolutely so, right. Yeah. And it all goes to, well, it shows up the law of attraction, I suppose, because what we focus on is what we achieve. Now, if we encourage that person to mm-hmm. focus on the things that they're not good at, they're going to get more of what they're not good at, less of what they are good at. And of course, we build the wrong result. Absolutely. And, and but that's a lesson a, for business, isn't it? Uh, oh, fine. indeed. Indeed. You know, people find themselves in a vicious circle, right? It just self-perpetuating. And, and of course, we've all heard the, the expression, you know, your, your definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, gosh, it's funny how that expression just keeps ringing true every day and how often you speak to people, right? It's So yeah, look, I think people definitely understanding what you're good at, understanding what you enjoy doing is just one of those fundamental things in business. And if you don't enjoy doing it or you're not very good at it, find someone who is and be willing to, you know, don't get me wrong, you're not going to do this sort of stuff flippantly, but be willing to invest in that person and hire them and spend the money. And, you know, it's, it's an investment, not an expense. <laughs> There's an old story about the wise businessman spends money to save time. The Mm. unwise businessman spends time to save money. What are you doing in your business? If if it's taking all your time and not delivering a result, someone else can do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think too, you know, like let's shoot back up to 40,000 feet for a moment because it's it's an interesting thing. You know, I, I get a lot of people who come to me you know, and of course, we, we do business sales acquisitions. We do, you know, helping people understand business valuation and what's your business worth? You know, and what do you, what do you want it to be worth? You know, a lot of people see our message and they come and say, oh, I want help. I want to grow. Um, and I say, okay, that's great. <laughs> and by the way, for those listening, and, and, and I, I, there's going to be a lot of people I imagine who go, yeah, yeah, I'm not thinking exit. I'm thinking growth. That's, my, that's where I'm in. I'm in the growth part of my journey. Well, growth and exit planning are just flip sides of the same coin. I think the point that people miss is, well, where am I growing to and why am I trying to grow? And I've got countless examples of people who've grown their business. Oh, yes, we grew top line revenue. We went from 5 million to 10 million. Our staff numbers grew from X to Y. 
we did all this sort of stuff. And then I found at the end of the day, by the way, actually, I, I, you know, I made about the same amount of money and I spent less time doing the things I loved and more time managing people and stuff and things I don't like. Actually, come to think of it, I was bloody miserable and miserable and for nothing, no other added benefit, right? So it's this idea of growth for the sake of growth is not is it just futile, it's cancerous, right? It's, that's the only other organism out there that grows for the sake of growing. And so I think, you know, this sense of purpose that we, we were talking about before or the reason you are doing what you're doing is just so critical to understand before you start making these grand plans to take over the world. Yeah, it's always good. If you're going to take over the world, let's have a country first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and to that, Clive, you know, it's, I think this sense of purpose thing is important, but I don't want to discourage people who, you know, a lot of people have kind of regular businesses where they don't necessarily feel like their business has this over, overarching purpose of changing the world. You know, one of my clients said to me, we, well, we sell widgets, you know, and I won't go into the actual product, and the, but, you know, like it just does what it does and it's, you know, people need it, we supply it, we try to do a good job around it, we try to deliver quality, we care about our customers, but let's not get grand, you know, or grandiose about what we're doing and, and look, and that's fine. I think a lot of people will relate to that and it's okay to just have a business that's not necessarily trying to change the world or the laws of the universe, right? But it will have a purpose and finding, digging a little bit deeper than just, hey, we're here to earn money. You know, money's important, but only to a point. I think that's the kind of message we're trying to say to people is, is let's scratch a little bit more below the surface. And I think to that end, there is the purpose of the business and what exterior world, you know, this is what you tell your clients. This is what you're telling your staff. This is what you're telling you know, yourself when you're building your business plan. Hey, this business does X and it has this sense of purpose around it. But as business owners, we all have our own intrinsic personal driver for being in business as well. And that's not the thing that you're putting on your corporate values poster in the hallways of the, the business and that you're putting on your proposals, you know. We all have our own deeper sense of purpose. And I think for a lot of people, yes, we need to tick off our basic needs. We need a certain amount of money. We need to pay our bills. We need to you know, you know, put a roof over our heads and put our kids through school. Okay, great. But what does the end game look like? What do you need one day? And this might sound a little bit stupid, but you know, or a little bit simplistic, but it's funny how often I've got to remind people of this. We are all going to exit our business one day, whether you like it or not. So you can either plan for this event and try to maximize the whole experience, both financially, personally, sense of purpose, reward, all those sort of things. Or you can kind of just leave it to chance. Let's be honest, we've we've all heard stories of people being taken out of their office feet first. So <laughs> clearly not the best way to go about it, right? Um, what is it that you need? You know, okay, if you're telling me that your business Look, it's um, you know, it gives me my lifestyle. It pays me the money. It allows me to do my holidays and spend time with my family and all that sort of stuff. Awesome, that's great. So, in essence, the business delivers certain fundamental things to your life. Well, let's define that a little bit more, so that if we know that you're going to exit your business one day, well, whenever you do that final exit, you need to actually have that lifestyle and that income replaced. You need to have that sense of purpose that, you know, you turn up to business work every day, you direct people, you guide, support, whatever it is you do day to day that gives you fulfillment. We need to replace that in your life. Otherwise, you're probably going to be a pretty unhappy person. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which all comes back to the plan. And of course, it doesn't matter 
if a person has been in business for 30 years or, or more and has no plan to exit, now is the time to make the plan, not when you started. However, yeah. if you're only just starting, now is the time to plan your exit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, that's, that's the saying, isn't it? Like the, the best time to consider your exit plan is before you get in and the next best time is now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, now is very prominent in lots of things that we work with people about, Simon. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. If we're here now, let's do something about it. <laughs> yep. You mentioned in your conversation earlier, Simon, that having a business valued or at least understanding the value of the business is important. What is it that's important about that from the point of view of a business owner? I think the most obvious point that everyone's going to expect me to say is, oh, well, one day you probably want to get out and you're going to want to sell. And so knowing what it's worth is important for that. Yeah, of course, that's that's pretty obvious. I'm actually more interested in the valuation from a business growth perspective. If you think about it, stock prices, you know, the share market and pick your market, pick your, you know, listings country, whatever. But there's a reason share prices are some of the most publicized numbers on the planet and the most talked about numbers on the planet. They're in your newsfeed, right? They're every single day. Oh, this is what happened overnight. Here's the general market. Here's your particular stocks. Da, 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 da. And why is that? Because the share price pertains to the value of the company, right? It is what that business is worth. And that company, I guarantee most people can't sit there and go, oh, yeah, I can tell you Woolworths revenue and profit margins were for the last three quarters. Yeah, of course they can't, because they don't care about that. Because what is it? All of that, all of that boils down to one single digit. What is the business worth? And by the way, did the worth or value of that company go up? stay the same or go down because there's only one of three things that's going to do it, right? <laughs> so now, of course, most of us and most businesses aren't listed on a stock exchange where they're priced by the millisecond and reported on, you know, constantly. But if I was thinking about growing my business and I wanted to pick one single number that tells me whether I've grown my business in an appropriate way or not, it would be whether the value of my company is higher, the same or less. So, what is your business worth? What would you like it to be worth? And then start thinking about how to bridge the gap if there is one. And by the way, I have had plenty of clients who've come to me and valued and said, I'd love it to be worth 10 million. And you go, well, actually, I think it's worth probably more like 12. <laughs> Happy days. You know, it's, I, I wish there was actually more of them, but probably I, I might be out of a job. But then again, my purpose might be fulfilled. So, hey, <laughs> it would still be a good thing. <laughs> Indeed. I suspect your purpose will never be quite fulfilled. <laughs> There'll always be an opportunity for somebody to step into the shoes that you one day might vacate. <laughs> yeah, so I suspect you might be right. <laughs> <laughs> But of course, it's up to us to try and encourage folks to see these opportunities. Yeah. When I do know the value of my business, and in six months or three months or a year or whatever it is that I, I get another figure that I can compare to the first one, is mm -hmm. that the reason why we actually have these numbers so we can compare, Simon? Is that how it works? Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, it's a funny thing, right? We're all used to reading a map, you know, these days. Jesus, it's all on Google. Um, my kids laugh at me when I explain that we used to actually have a book and we'd look things up, but let's not go there. But, you know, if you want to go somewhere, you look up where it is on the map and there's fundamentally two points on that map, isn't there? Like where you want to go and where, where you are at the moment. Only then can you start to sort of navigate, you know, how to get there. So, so absolutely, you know, Understanding broadly what your business is worth today, and we can maybe touch on in a moment about what are some of those factors, but what are you worth and why? Then you can reassess yourself. You know, you can create that plan, but reassess yourself in 12 months' time and say, okay, 
well, where are we now? And what did we achieve? And, you know, did we actually climb the right mountain or did we actually, you know, deviate and go somewhere we didn't think? Or, you know, you need, we need these reference points to determine really how are we spending our time and perhaps more importantly now, where should we spend our time going forward? <laughs> Which, of course, helps us maintain our attention or focus on that vision that we might have started with. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's focus is a funny thing, isn't it? There's no lack of ideas. You know, even bring up bring up your Google map, pick a location. It'll probably give you three, four, five different alternatives on how to get to a location, right? So the idea is not that you need to know all five five routes. It's pick one, focus on it, and do the things necessary to actually make progress on that path. There we are, back to those choices again. Yeah. <laughs> I suspect we're We've got to go make decisions. <laughs> what do we do about the people who don't like to make a decision or who are not good at making decisions, Simon? How do we help those folks? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because even not making a decision is still a decision, isn't it? Mm. Right. So it's it, it is an interesting one. I, I don't know. You know what I do find? I think I think when most business owners, you know, they're not in business because well, they're in business. Being in business is a choice, <laughs> and let's let's be honest, it's not always an easy choice, and it's not always an easy path. So. I think if you're in business, you'll understand this to be a fundamental fact that if you don't make decisions, generally decisions will be made for you. And I'm always of the view that those decisions when made for you will usually not be in your best interest. So, you know, once again, where do you want to go? Where, where do you want to be? What do you want to do? Because and, and, and how do you want to live your life? Because you're either in the driver's seat or you're a passenger. And of course, if we choose to be in the driver's seat, it's important to make a decision. If we want to make a decision, it's probably a good idea to have something that we can base that decision upon, which mm. means measuring stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe having a bit of a plan, a bit of direction. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to that valuation. As you, you know, I've had a little bit to do with valuations through my years, but there's a lot of people out there who don't necessarily understand the value of the business. There's a lot of people in business who don't understand the value of a product yeah. or the value of a thing called profit. But today, let's talk about valuing a business and what actually goes into helping somebody arrive at a value for a business. Yeah, yeah. Look, it is a good question, and obviously we're not going to go down a rabbit hole here on on a lot of the complexities. But I do want people to walk away with a couple of something, you know, a couple of meaty kind of points here that they can get their head around and wrap their arms around. If you're out there and you're hearing somebody say to you, you know, put their thumb to the wind and go, "Oh, you're in the such and such industry," that means that you're a two to three times your net profit. Promptly thank that person for their time, turn around and walk the other way. For every complex problem, there's a simple answer that's wrong. And I think that really sums up business valuation, right? I mean, if it was that simple, A, nobody would ever need a business valuation because it would just be, you know, we'd just know, we'd know intuitively what they are. So don't fall into the trap of thinking that this is just a, it's all dependent on your industry and therefore it's all predetermined. And, and I think too, by the way, if we logically examine that whole simple rule of thumb, a simple rule of thumb just presumes that every business in that industry is actually the same, which we know is not true. So... Understand rules if they exist because there's been enough transactions out there to create a simple average. And that's all it is. It's a reference point. It's a piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole 500-piece jigsaw. <laughs> so that's the first thing is don't, don't fall into that trap. There are different valuation methodologies. I'm going to pick on the most common one today, which is a multiple of your net profit. And most people go, oh, okay, that's great. I can look at my P&L because I actually have one. And there's my net profit number. Well, actually, it's not as simple as that either. There are 
things we need to do. And often we use different terms like EBIT and EBITDA, and there might actually be people who are saying to me, well, what does that mean? I'm not going to get into a technical definitions of profit, but let's just assume we understand we, we use a profit number. And then we're going to multiply that profit by another number, you know, where a lot of people fall into that industry kind of rule of thumb trap. I like to point out that there's a lot of things that determine that number. And if we kind of think about it, it's it's all this sort of qualitative stuff, not the quantum of your number, not the amount of your profit. It's what are the things that sit behind it, right? And of course, that's people, system, process and stuff like that. But if I can boil it all down, and of course, as you'd expect, Clive, we've got all sorts of specific categories and things that we do. And I'm very happy to share that, by the way, if anyone wants more information on it, reach out. I'll, I'll, I just don't want to put anyone to sleep today. But at the end of the day, think about what people are buying, right? They're buying your business, yes, but they're not buying all the history and the trophies on the wall and the blah, blah, blah. They're actually buying your future stream of profit. That's what they're buying. And what they're really doing is assessing how likely is it that that profit will continue into the future and what is the opportunity to potentially grow it, right? So if you've got a business that's highly systemized, you know, you can literally say to them, hey, I've got a, a marketing function and a sales function and it's highly systemized, it's highly measured, it's reliable. I know that if we turn this dial here, we will increase leads generally by between X and Y and we have close rates of Z and pretty much if I turn that dial here, we know we will spit out X more profit. Well, hey, that sounds like a pretty reliable system to me. And now as a buyer, I'm starting to feel pretty confident that the risk of this profit not happening is pretty low. Right? The risks are much lower in a business like that. Therefore, risk versus reward, right? Well, in this case, the lower the risk, that basically, in other words, well, the lower the risk, the, the more I'm willing to pay, right? Higher the risk, the, the higher the reward I expect, in other words, the lower the amount I'm willing to pay. So as I said, I don't want to get too technical on some of this stuff, but it's... Uh... In the end, it all comes back to risk and reward. And <clears throat> why is a purchaser wanting to buy this business? Well, we don't find too many businesses sold because somebody just wants to put a pot of money down and get a river of money flowing back. It's actually got something to do with emotions and of people because people make business. People make decisions about buying a business because it's going to deliver something to them other than money. The money is important. Risk and reward is important. There's a whole lot of other stuff goes into it as well, as Simon's been saying. You had a couple of stints out there in the uh, corporate world. Yep. You managed to escape. Good on you. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Badge of honour. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then you became an entrepreneur. What are some of the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make generally and how many did you do? Oh, God, the, the, the list of mistakes I've made is too long to recount. Although I will say one thing is that I've certainly learned a lot more from my failures than I have from my successes. So, you know, they're important, right? It's funny, you know, you go into business and, you know, back to what we were saying before, often, hey, I'm really good at making widgets. I'll start a business and make widgets. But often people miss a lot of the critical kind of steps along the way. One of the big ones I see out there is... People go into business with, hey, Clive, you and I, we made widgets together. We work for the same company. We know each other. We're mates. We have beers. We have, you know, we, we get along pretty well and we have a laugh. Great. You know what? We should start our, business, our own business. We should go into business together. That sounds brilliant, especially after two beers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and off they charge, right? And people have the best of intentions and that can be a pretty beautiful experience and it, and, and it may work wonderfully. Of course, 
things can also go the other way, right? And I think getting the foundations and the fundamentals right in any business is critical because I see a lot of people at the other end where things haven't necessarily, well, I've seen things go absolutely horribly sour and I can share some stories around that, but even where it's not gone sour, you know, people grow apart after a while, you know, Clive, you and I are different people. We have realized, oh, well, we actually do have some slightly different interests or maybe a different stage of life, whatever it might be. And now what you want from the business is now starting to look a little different from what I want from the business. So without clear and open communication to explore those and, and be empathetic to the other person's needs, that sort of little gap can turn into a yawning chasm and turn into the Grand Canyon eventually, right? And that's how things fall apart and people can become quite hostile to each other in the end. And, and of course, you know, once you're angry or hostile, you're never going to accomplish anything, are you? And that's when lawyers end up winning a lot of money and being involved and, you know, they're the only ones who win in that situation, right? So my message to everyone is, if you start with the end in mind, <laughs> at the risk of sounding repetitive, <laughs> you guys should have a chat up front about, well, look, what do, we, what do you want to get out of this business? You know, what's important to you as a person? Like, okay, we both want to earn a basic amount of money. Of course, we need to pay our bills, but what do we want to get out of it in over the longer term? And do we, you know, what does exiting eventually look like? And, you know, what are the things we should think about? You don't have to decide up front hey, we're going to exit via a sale on this date in this year. You know, most people can't do that. But if you said, oh, look, I, I imagine if we could build it up and it'd be worth something that I'd be open to selling it one day. You know, if the other person goes, oh, I've always dreamed about handing it down to my kids. Well, okay, well, that's a fundamentally different process there, right? So it's, it's not to even say you shouldn't be in business together. It's something you need to put on the table and be willing to talk about and explore and understand how those different options impact each other. And dare I say it, at the risk of sounding really boring here, maybe document some of that stuff and put it in a shareholders agreement between the two of you so that you actually, if you're going down that journey and you do start to have differences of opinion, you actually have a mechanism to be able to discuss it and resolve it and make decisions. And without that kind of framework, that's that's just where you see a lot of people kind of really fall up and blow up and, let's be honest, deteriorate value, right? That's that's really what it comes down to. So decisions made at some stage actually have meaning at a later stage and decisions <laughs> not made at some stage actually have meanings at a later stage. Isn't that funny? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and you know, Isn't you know, that funny? But right. so that we don't bore folks too much, because you, you and I can talk about this for hours and laugh all the way through the boring bits. But uh, <laughs> what are three top things that people should consider when thinking about an exit plan, uh, regardless of the time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's a good question. Three top things that people should be considering is, and let's start with the obvious one, right? Valuation. You know, it's the financial requirement, the financial need. I'm always sort of saying, we, we use a bit of a term, you know, what's what's the, the freedom point for you? Like, how much money do you need to live the life you want? Right? Let's assume you don't have to work, you pay off your debts. What is the income you need, right? There's a number there. All of us have a number to, to be able to go on our holidays and live the life, you know, that, that we've always sort of been happy with or would be happy with. That can actually boil back to a valuation for your business, right? If I could sell my business for $5 million, and of course, I'm randomly making up numbers here, I could invest that money, get a certain amount of return, keep up with inflation, and be comfortable. So doing a little bit of prep work around what that kind of number would look like is really important because... Number one, not only can it give you a sleep at night factor, <laughs> but you may be thinking, I'm going to work for the next 20 years. But guess what? Along comes 
Johnny from out of the blue and says, really love your business, Clive. You know, I reckon it's worth about six mil. You know, are you interested? Well, hey, that's actually worth more than I originally needed. So maybe I could just live the life I want. I don't actually need to work anymore either. So knowing that number, knowing that valuation gives you freedom in a lot of ways. It also helps you get really specific on how to grow, right? So valuation is the first one. Second one is timing. How long do you want to keep doing what you're doing? And I'm talking on two levels here. One, day-to-day tasks how you are spending your time, because let's be honest, that's the most valuable resource you have. But two, how long do you want to keep owning the business for? Because owning the business, even profitable, well-run ones, comes with risk, right? And for most of my clients, and I'm sure you'd see the same thing, usually their business is, is actually, if not, not the largest, it's certainly one of the largest assets they own. And if you put my old banker hat on for a second here, you know, talk about investment strategies, diverse, diversification is a critical one, right? So if 80% of your wealth is tied up in one asset, that's a problem. <laughs> How long do you want to keep owning that asset and having that risk profile is an important question to sort of get your head around. The third element is what I'm going to broadly term legacy. Right. And, and when I say legacy, most people think, you know, my name on the door and how long will, will it go on in perpetuity and, you know, how will the world think of me? Actually, legacy is not that sort of grandiose for most people. <laughs> A lot of people actually don't care either. You know, hey, once I sell my business, it's sold. It's somebody else's asset. I'm not personally attached to it. And by the way, I think that's probably the most sensible approach to it. But people do become passionate and they do love their business. What I would say when you're thinking about legacy is when you step out of this business, is it important to you in terms of how your suppliers, customers and staff think about you and talk about the way you exited it or the way you ran and the way you left in the end? I think for most of us, we form relationships with our clients and with our employees and and team members, whatever it might be. And we kind of, we want to make sure we're doing the right thing by them, right? We want them to respect our decision to leave, but also not for them to feel like, oh, well, all you cared about was yourself and you've kind of totally pushed me under a bus while you were doing it. And after 20 years of friendship, I now can't stand the bloke. So I think most people can relate to that. So your legacy is actually really about, you know, when you walk out of the room, how do people feel about you? And you need to explore that because I've seen both ends of it. Some people say, oh, that doesn't bother me at all. But when you start probing, you go, actually, (laughs) you feel quite deeply about that, particularly maybe your staff or that particular customer or whoever it might be. So valuation, timing, legacy. They're the three things that people need to get their heads around to have a, 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 a successful exit, but also one that's filled with no regret. (laughs) And of course, for all of our listeners who who might not have a business that's worth $5 million, bigger or smaller, doesn't matter. Simon was using that number just for the sake of having a number. It's important for every person in every business to be aware of those three things that Simon was talking about. It it helps make your life worth living. Yeah, (laughs) indeed. Indeed. Makes you a lot happier. (laughs) Yeah. And it's important when we, we go into business, most of us are looking for the opportunity to decide what we do, when we do it, etc. which means that we want time. It's been my experience to notice that most people, the very first thing they give up and continue to give up is time. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking right, of yeah. time, Simon, the clock is against us. We could go on and on with this and, and I'd love to and we'll get you back and do it again at some stage. But before I let you go, 
What is the best tip you have received from a business conversation? Do you know, I've been fortunate to have some really wonderful people around me in my life, but one of the tips that, and and I'll say that that all the best mentors, all the best advisors, all the, the people I respect the most imbue this particular quality and way of thinking. So it's kind of been universal, but I'm, I'm stealing a quote from Henry Ford here in that, you know, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. Don't put limits on yourself. You're out there in business. You're doing lots of good things. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be great at everything. But work out what you really want and go for it and back yourself. Because if you fundamentally really believe in yourself, you'll probably achieve things that that you never even thought were possible. And that's it. Self-belief. That's that's really where it all sits. Have a go. Keep having yeah. a go. <laughs> Indeed. And don't quit just because it gets a little bit challenging. <laughs> <laughs> because there'll always be challenges. Anyway, what is the top piece of advice you would like to leave listeners with today? Look, think about why you're in business. And I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about paying your bills. You know, what what else are you trying to get out of this experience? You know, I'm a fundamental believer that none of us are born to do business. We're born to live our life, right? And your business should simply be a vehicle for delivering you the life you want. So what kind of life do you want? Right. That's a funny thing, Simon, to say. You mean business is about people? Yeah. Funny that, isn't it? <laughs> Most importantly, Simon, before I let you go, how can our listeners connect with you to start their own business conversation? Yeah, thanks for that, Clive. Look, two things. One, reach out to me on LinkedIn. and But please, like, if you send me a connection request, put a little note. Tell me that you heard me on business conversations webinar or a podcast or, you know, make some reference to this conversation perhaps so I know where you're coming from. That would be lovely. Um, I get lots of invitation connection requests with no comment and I, they all just seem very random to me, so I, I rarely accept them. Um, but, but send me a connection request with a little note. Contact us on exitadvisory.com.au, our website. You can certainly fill in a form there and uh, reach out and I'd be very happy to jump on a quick call and have a chat and introduce ourselves properly. And the website is exitadvisory.com.au. That's just exitadvisory, all one word, no special spelling. And, of course, if we're looking for Simon on LinkedIn, it's Simon Bedard, and Bedard is spelled B-E-D-A-R-D. Very simple. (laughs) As you would expect it to be because it's a lovely, simple name to to, uh, say and spell. Simon, (laughs) it's been absolutely wonderful having you on this conversation. And, yes, we could have gone on longer, but time is against us and we don't want to hold our people up out there. We want them thinking about your three things to make sure that they understand how to exit their business. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enova. Make sure you subscribe to future episodes via your favourite podcast app and you can find more business resources at cliveenova.com.au.